right, good evening. We are going to go ahead and get started tonight. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, we'll go ahead and take prayer requests at the end. Um, so we continue to work our way through this. Uh, we're just about uh, finished with um, our series of stewardship. And so tonight we're going to start really almost a three-part series um, uh, under stewardship, talking about relationships. And um, guess when you think about relationships and being a good steward, you know, what have you found um, as far as relationship goes, relationships go in your life, what have you found as being helpful in maintaining that? Let's try to get some, uh, try to get this ball rolling a little bit and try to get our, uh, our brains going. As far as maintaining, yes, Ms. Julie? Communication. Communication, okay. So obviously, marriages, I'm thinking right off the bat, uh, a marriage relationship thrives off of relationship. And on the other hand, it uh, really struggles, right, without that. Okay? Brent? Honesty. Honesty. Okay. Anybody else? What, what, what's helpful in maintaining a relationship? Yes, Wacy. What's that? Curiosity. Curiosity. Okay. All right. Time. Okay, Ms. Don? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Donald, you had your hand up? Sac- yeah. <laughs> Unselfishness, okay. Does anything else come to mind? Uh, Al- Alyssa, trust. That's a good one. You were ready. You knew I was going to call on you, didn't you? Okay. Wanting to please, okay. Miss Tasha. Support. Support. Oh, that's a good one. You, this list is way better than the list that I came up with. Uh, Miss Crystal. Unconditional love, okay. All right. I'm just going to put godliness, okay. Yeah, Julie. Respect, okay. Chris, do you have your hand up? Helping towards goals. So kind of support. I'll kind of put a star into that. But specifically for goals. Yeah, no, that's fine. How many of us want this in the other person? Doesn't matter what relationship we're talking about. Whatever is in your mind, how many of us want this in that person? Raise your hand. How many of us have that in ourselves? Yeah, some of us are like, okay, yes, but I can check that one and that one and that one. I know I've been struggling with that one and I've been working on it. But the idea is when we think about relationships, how, how taxing is it to maintain it in somewhat of a healthy, healthy way? How, how much energy do we put into relationships? Ought we put into relationship? I don't know if we can put a number on that, right? It's, it's how well do you want the relationship? That's how much you should put into it, right? And when we think about relationships, especially pertaining to spiritual ones, um, let's turn over, turn over to 1 John chapter 1. 
because that's, that's what we're going to start thinking about. Um, Josh is going to follow up with uh, another lesson about what that might involve to uh, maintain relationship and being a good steward of a relationship that God has blessed me with, with another human being. But in 1 John chapter 1, I love this passage because um, when we think about fellowship, right, the church word fellowship, we don't really use that word outside of church, right? What does that word fellowship mean? Communing together, okay? Another church word, communing, right? What does communing together mean? I don't, I don't think I've ever used that. Would you like to commune together, you know, for lunch? <laughs> to a coworker? What does it mean to have fellowship? What does it mean to commune? That's a, that's a synonym, right? So some translations may say fellowship. Some say commune. Some may say partnership. Some may share. It's all one Greek word, four English words. Okay, being together in a holy manner. Anybody else? What does fellowship mean? Daniel, what do you think that means? Fellowship. To have fellowship. Always be around each other, okay? Anybody else have anything to add to that? Sure, okay. A commonality, absolutely. Uh, all of those are correct. Here is here's a, um, a definition that I just use, I keep in my mind as far as fellowship goes is a deep spiritual and here's the here's the really the main idea there is fellowship takes it up a notch in a way that I don't think any other relationship necessarily has it may contain that but the word fellowship indicates I like the word commonality what are we both pursuing here a relationship based on spiritual things so a deep spiritual relationship Okay, a deep spiritual relationship. Now question, if we're using this definition, do we have fellowship with anybody and everybody in the world? No. What do we infer based off of that definition? Christians. As the Bible would say, people with like precious faith, right? People who understand, people who have the same priorities, People who have the same commitments in life, there, there ought to be, there ought to be something different about those. Now, whether I'm talking about my sister in Christ as my wife, or my brother in Christ, who I don't really see as much, but our, our paths may cross once or twice a week, it doesn't matter what that is, or somebody that I haven't seen in, in ages. The idea is our relationship is based on spiritual commonalities. Spiritual um, sharing uh, um, um, qualities. Here's an example of how John uses it, and I love this one. Somebody read 1 John chapter 1, and starting in verse number 3. Go ahead and read verse 3 for us, somebody. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Okay, stop right there. So that you too may have fellowship with us. Okay, that word fellowship here... Is, is designated, or is tying what two groups together? What two groups is tied together there? You, right, he's using pronouns, right? You, plural, and us, plural. What two groups is being? 
Okay, Gentiles and Jews. Okay, so one group would be, who's writing this? Who's writing this? Uh, John, right? Scaring me there. John is writing it, right? The Apostle John, and he could possibly be talking about other apostles, right? Because look at what he says, verse 3. What we have seen and heard. He's basing it off of evidences, off of proofs. Now, did all of the Christians in the first century witness and listen to Jesus firsthand? No. So it kind of separates the group a little bit into a smaller category. So John is referring to the apostles. What we have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears, he says, what are we doing with that? We are declaring or we are proclaiming or we're preaching or teaching you, right? So what we've seen and heard, so the apostles of group one, he's going to say that fellowship is between the apostles and who's the second party? Okay, how do you know that? Okay, so that's the second part of it. You're right, um, but the first part is John and the apostles, and who's on the other receiving end of this fellowship, this deep spiritual relationship? The church, other Christians. You guys see that? Does that make sense? So I'm going to put this F word, not the world's F word, but the Bible's F word, fellowship. So the fellowship is running horizontally between who and who? The apostles and Christians. Now, let's make application today. Does fellowship still run horizontally? Yes, between who? Christian and Christian, okay? So fellowship's going to run horizontally, but also fellowship also runs vertically. Now exactly what Chris is going to say. He says that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship, same word, is also with who? The Father and the Son. I'm sorry, the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So not only does fellowship run horizontally between Christian to Christian, but it also runs vertically between God and His children. The same would be true here. And so to have fellowship with another Christian is to have fellowship with God. You can't have fellowship with one another without the commonality. And obviously that commonality is what? It is God. But what allows us to have fellowship, Arlinda? Yeah, that's a good point. Some believe that, that uh, the Christians are already know that uh, once you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. God dwells in you. So that's another, that's a deeper layer to having fellowship with God is not only do I have a relationship with Him, He lives in me. The more that I study the Word, it says that the Word of God is uh, living and active and is able to search and discern the Spirit. And so when we think about this idea of fellowship, these relationships... They're made available to us by the blood of Christ. When somebody is baptized into Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 1, you're baptized into one body, right? There's many members, but one body. And so when we have a new brother or sister in Christ baptized into the blood of Christ, now we share fellowship. 
That's the koinonia. That's the sharing. That's the participating with one another. Has anybody heard of this um, ideology or philosophy called individualism? Has anybody heard that? Let's, let's take a stab at it. What, what do you think individualism is? Yes, exactly. Yeah, individualism. Now, this is very, very big nowadays. Um, it's, it's proclaimed everywhere and anywhere. You just turn on the TV, you look at a billboard, you open up a magazine, you, 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 you are exposed to any part of the world. You're going to hear this. You're going to hear this message preached to you. Um, I went to a, a website, and this is how it was, it was uh, defined. Individualism is the moral stance, the political philosophy, the ideology, or the social outlook, the way that I look at the world, that emphasizes the moral worth of the individual. It's everywhere. I say this all the time. Every time we watch a Disney princess movie with my girls, the message that underlines all of it is, do what makes you, what? Happy. I'm going to pursue what makes me feel better. I'm going to pursue what makes uh, things easier for me. I'm going to pursue things that, that uh, maybe I can add to my resume. Everything is about self. It promotes the exercise of one's goals and desires and values. It promotes self-reliance. How, many of the, how much of that do you hear the world preaching? You, 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 you're going to lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. Lean on yourself. You be strong. Yesterday, I hear it was International Women's Day. Did anybody hear about that? And all I saw is, uh, is, is this proclamation. Again, I'm not saying either way, good or bad. I'm just saying this is what I saw. That it was, we're going to elevate women in my life that, that were, were worth praise. And that's just one small uh, grain of what I think the world pushes. But it go also goes on to say... It makes the individual their primary focus. It makes self the primary focus. Everything starts and ends with the individual. I am my own individual. And listen to this. Therefore, I'm free to do my own thing. And I can do whatever I please. One of the big phrases as far as deciding what I want to do with my body is my body, my choice. And so you can't tell me what I ought to do with my body because it belongs to me. And I'm going to do what makes best, what's best for me. And so this idea is not neither good nor bad. It's, I think it's just like a gun. It's just like a weapon. It's neither good or bad. It's how you utilize it, right? Because to some degree, the Bible would say there's, just like any philosophy out there, there's small truths to it, just small. There's a, there's a grain of truth. Psalm 139 and verse 14, the Bible says everyone is an individual and each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made by the Creator. And therefore, all of us are unique. Um, if you remember in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, the first time the gospel message was preached in its fullness, what does Peter say? Save yourselves from this crooked and perverse generation. And so the Bible on one hand would say, Things are dependent on you and your choice. 
just like salvation. That's a big one. I can't um, obey God and expect that salvation to kind of splash onto my wife. So I'm able to save my wife off of my obedience, right? And here's the struggle in the church, I think, is my parents can't save me through their salvation or their fellowship with God. And so on one hand, this idea of being an individual when it comes to to salvation is that God's going to judge me personally. In other words, here's uh, here's a few uh, passages. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, uh, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one, he says, may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In Ezekiel chapter 18, starting in verse 4, here's what the Bible says, Behold, all the souls are mine, God says, the soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son. They're both mine. But the soul who sins will die. The person who sins will die. The Son will not bear the punishment for the Father's sin, nor will the Father bear the punishment for the Son's sin. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon Himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon Himself. And so there's some truth to this philosophy of it is about me in the sense that it's up to me on what I choose to do, Evan. So Evan's sin will not be held against Evan's daughters. Evan's daughters' sins will not be held upon us. Does that make sense? And so in one sense, that's how it's true, but the other is not. And that's what we want to talk about is fellowship or being a good steward of relationships, the big part of this philosophy that's wrong is that the Bible teaches the idea of a community. So I just wanted to make sure that not all of it is wrong. There's a small portion which is, yeah, they're kind of right, that I have to choose to walk with God myself. But the larger part of that is wrong in that it isn't about Evan. Remember Jesus says, If you choose to follow me, let him deny self, pick up his cross, and follow after me every day, daily. And so there's actually the opposite message being preached by the Bible. And that is to, I've got to learn to deny self. What does it mean to deny? Okay, so comparing our wills, my will with God. Chris said to learn to say no to self. Simply put, that's it, right? To deny is to say no. How easy is that? How easy is it to say no to what Evan wants? Because that's the deal is, you remember, you think about the old law. Does anybody remember through the law of Moses how many laws there were? Over, definitely over 400. 613 laws in the law of Moses. And when you think about what Jesus was asked... In the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 22, what he says, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? You remember that when he was asked that? And what did Jesus say? Number one, he says, The love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, he says, is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. He takes those 613 laws 
And Jesus bottles them up to two. So all of the laws actually can be categorized or, or, or kind of skimmed down into love God with everything you have and love other people better than yourself. All the laws can follow, fall under that. Yeah, Ezekiel. Yes. No, you're right. He does. And the other, the at last, the end of that of, of uh, Paul too will say, is upon these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Everything that you read of in the Old Testament hinges on these two points: to love God with everything that I have, and number two, to love my neighbor as myself. Yeah, Donald. Yeah, it says that in the scripture. What, what, what scripture is that? Yeah, it's uh, Matthew 22. Yep, Matthew 22, 37 through 39. That's, that's this idea of the Bible teaching us about, it isn't actually about individualism. It's actually about, I'm thinking about other people. I'm thinking of Evan last. That, that's, that's, the, that's the deal. That spiritual progress, that spiritual maturity is learning to think less of myself or to consider less of myself and to consider or think of more, more of others. And that's the deal, and that's the struggle. Because our flesh, our being, wants to do what? James says we want to satisfy ourselves. <laughs> and when Jesus is dealing with all of these sins, with the Sermon on the Mountain, he says, you know, if I'm to really help you, with the problems that you have. We've got to deal with where, the, where the, the, the issue begins. And James clarifies that, basically saying, where does whatever sin you're talking about, where does it begin? In the heart. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, everybody who, every man who lusts after a woman, where? In his heart has already committed it. You've heard it said, you shall not kill your brother. But I say to you, whoever hates someone else has already done it in his heart. And so the root of the matter is, how do we develop a good stewardship, a good management of these relationships, specifically talking about Christian to Christian? And all of us made this really awesome list of what a healthy relationship ought to have. And so when we think about the struggle of having this, the struggle is what then? Well, what's the hindrance in achieving all of this? I want it to please me. That, that's why we're so quick to say, you know what? You hurt me. You, you, you were um, avoiding me. What you said really offended me. How you're acting is really hurting me. I'm really trying to, to, I'm struggling with that self here. Where the key to having a, a healthy relationship is to say, even though that hurts, Ephesians 4.32 says, forgive one another. Why? Because God forgave us first. And so I'm basing my relationship off of with the brethren. I'm basing it off of that grace that I received first from God. Yeah, Russ. That's why the first 
Yes. It shows you what he does for you. If you get that right, he'll do much better with the other. That's why I believe John not only includes or talks about this horizontal fellowship, he says, really, this is possible only because of this. That God extends himself. He doesn't have to. I mean, he could have let us go as soon as we, we, we were old enough to sin consciously. And he could have let us go. But no, obviously the story, the gospel is, despite our arrogance, despite our willingness to serve self, which is sin, sin is any form of seeking self above God, right? That's how sin is, is really, uh, it's, it's a transgression against the law. But it's because of that made available that I can have any relationship with anybody else. And so how do I then maintain healthy relationships with my brothers and sisters? I'm always mindful of the relationship that God extends to me. Because how many of us would say, I would really like to have this as what's described of me? I'd be the first to say, I this is what I'm trying to aim for. Well, nobody on earth, no human, has this perfectly except for Jesus Christ. And so we could go on and on with a list, and guess who has all of those? A hundred percent of it, Jesus Christ. And so if I'm focusing on Him, then I'm humble to say that, uh, man, you've got God here, and then you've got Evan. There's no comparison, right? John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That's how we feel about ourselves. And now when I have that humility and I look to others to say, even though they may not deserve it, guess what I'm still going to do? I'm still going to do my best to communicate with them. Even though they don't deserve it, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be honest with them. Even though they don't deserve it, I'm going to be curious with them. <laughs> I'm going to give them my time. They take advantage of me, of me all the time. How in the world? Because God gives that to me. So I'm going to sacrifice for them. Why? Because they deserve it. That's what the world will teach is sacrifice for other people. Only those who will do what back to me? Who will sacrifice for me. Isn't that what, what you hear in the world? Is you should be around people who would do the same for you. Where the Bible says, I don't care what they do towards you. You are to love them. You are to sacrifice for them. That's biblical love. Unconditional love is I'm not basing off my, my, my um, demonstration of love for you. I'm not basing it off of what I think you'll do back to me. What you do back to me potentially has nothing to do with what I'm expressing to you. That's biblical love. That's agape love. And that's the idea is when we're trying to be a good steward is I'm also trying to work on this for other people because I know God has the entire list and he's extending himself to me. Okay, any thoughts or questions? Yeah, Brent. It's like if someone asks me to do a favor, I do it and ask people to give me back, they come pay it forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of those people who buy stuff for the... Absolutely. You know, I've heard it uh, said that a marriage is really a competition of whoever can serve each other the best. You know, it's like, oh, you did that for me. I'm going to do this for you. And it's the only competition in a marriage should be who can outserve the other one. Right. And that's the idea is 
to be a good steward of a relationship means I've really got to, and this is draining. This is draining. You know, today, um, I mean, you're probably aware of it. One of the things that I've struggled with my entire life, um, and probably will to the day I die, is my patience level. And as a father, I know one of my shortcomings is, is, um, is maybe um, reacting in a way that shows I'm impatient. If one of the kids spills water, and it might be a complete accident, guess what I struggle with? I struggle with that, 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 uh, that expression of anger. Um, and learning that that's where I fall short as a father is learning to discipline, not because they made a childish mistake, but to learn when to differentiate, differentiate between disciplining off of a childish mistake and a foolish mistake. You see, there's a difference there. Is I'm not going to discipline because they accidentally spilled their drink at, at a restaurant. No, but I'm going to discipline them when they know the right thing to do and they don't do it. You see, not because there's a difference there. But I know my shortcoming is trying to make sure I work on that. And I know I'm never going to be the best at it. But I'm always trying to, to, to learn and to grow. And um, that happened today. And I had to ask, ask for forgiveness and, and just say, God, keep, keep working on me in that area. I know I need to grow. And the funny thing about all of this, if you pray that you need to grow in this area, guess what God's going to provide? More opportunities for you to demonstrate that. Yeah, Russ. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, any other thoughts on that? And then I was told once that you must be pa- praying for patience because God keeps giving you girls. Mm. That is very true. You know, when you think about, what's that? Okay. I just got to make it till then, huh? Well, you know, when you think about what all's involved, the more of us that have, I guess, experienced more, and really, I think a lot of it has to do with the more of us that have gotten hurt by relationships, that does take away from my willingness to extend it again, because I made myself vulnerable, and that person really hurt me. And so guess what I'm going to do the next time that relationship avails itself to where I'm going to try to extend that. I'm not going to want to because I was hurt. And so I realize, the Bible realizes, God realizes that there's a struggle with that. But there's still the, there's still the command to love your neighbor as yourself. I saw a hand. Yeah, Ezekiel. Yourself first, it becomes 
Yeah. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Did the Apostle Paul get hurt from relationships? Read 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is Apostle Paul saying, you guys hurt me really bad. I, I extended my entire life and my being. I went out of my way. I could have gone this way in, in uh, recharge. We're, talking, we're studying the, the traveling and the missionary journey of, of Paul. He could have passed right by Corinth if he wanted to. But he decided to stop in that synagogue and he labored there for who knows how long. And that church really hurt him. Matter of fact, there were, there were these gossips going around, these, these uh, false ideas about Paul saying he's really not, he's really not uh, sincere. He's doing this for the money. And they took a hold of that and they really started to believe that. And Paul writes them in 2 Corinthians saying, I can't believe you're believing that about me. You know I didn't collect money from you. I didn't, I'm not milking you with every, from every penny you have. I'm doing this because I love you. And the whole letter of 2 Corinthians is a minister who's hurt by a congregation. You ever try to lead people to Christ and you're the one who ends up heartache and pain? How can you extend that to another person? It hurts. But just like Paul says, is even though you're hurting me, he says, I'm being renewed day by day, 2 Corinthians 5, though the outer man is wearing decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. So who's replenishing that? God is. Who's replenishing the relationship that's tainted by sin? Here, the relationship with God. How cool is that? And so though I'm extending my relationship, my love, my effort, my trust, uh, my wanting to please, my support, I'm extending that to a fellow brother or sister. Because we're both humans, we will fall short, Romans 3.23. We are going to hurt one another. It's just that we're human. It's going to happen. But notice all of the pains, the scars, the bruises that we get here. Guess what is the aid? Guess what is the medicine to that, the relationship here. How great is that? Yeah, Arlinda? Yeah, no, that, I think, especially, especially with that, the father is looking down upon the son saying, you are hurting, you are hurting the person I love. And how many of us want to, man, you ever have your kid get pushed down in the park by another kid? What do you want to do to the other kid? If we're being honest, right? <laughs> I want to do something that probably get me put in jail, right? I, how dare you? That's my kid. And yet, God still extends His everything to us. Now, here's another part. I think this is the deeper layer. Because I'm human, because I'm flawed, because I have selfish desires, God extends Himself fully, and yet what do I do towards that offering? 
is I also take advantage of my God. Now, regardless of who you are, you struggle with self. We struggle with sin. And so God's going to give us 100% of all of this, and I am going to several times, Paul says, wretched man that I am, Romans chapter 7. There are things I don't want to do, and what does Paul say? I do it. There are things I do want to do, and I don't do it. And he says, wretched, wretched man that I am, thanks be to my Lord Christ Jesus. That God extends himself to us, and we, out of our selfishness, do the very thing we don't like other people doing to us. And the Bible will say that God is made sorrowful, and God hurts. Sometimes I don't think we, we really think about that a lot, is we have the ability to hurt God. He's extended himself so much and made himself vulnerable so much that I can hurt him. When I choose to do what Evan wants instead of what God has given, I hurt God. And so the last thing that I should be able to do is to say, well, that person doesn't deserve it. When I've hurt God, how many times today already? <laughs> and so the idea is to focus on this relationship, and I think that's the key, one of the keys to maintaining a healthy relationship with a brother and a sister because we will hurt each other. It's not if, it's when. And it may be intentional, it may be not intentional. But we're going to struggle with one another. We're going to say things that are going to cut one another. We're going to do things that hurt one another. Now the difference is because we share a deep spiritual relationship, we are both trying to pursue the godly response to that. Whether I'm on the hurting end or I'm on the receiving end, I'm going to try to do what God wants me to do, and that's how we maintain it. You know, over the, over the weekend at uh, Affirming the Faith, I was asked to be part of a panel um, of uh, racial reconciliation, basically how the church has addressed, needs to, needs to be in, as far as addressing racism in the church. And there was me. And the guy sitting next to me was a brother by the name of Harold Red, who's got his Ph.D. and has been preaching for, how long has he been preaching, Aaron? Uh, at least 40 years. He's been preaching longer than I have been alive. <laughs> next to him is a brother named Alan, who's from South Africa. He's got two Ph.D.s. And he's been preaching for probably the same amount of time. And Alan oversaw the Bible department at Oklahoma Christian. And so I wasn't, uh, we got up there and the room was full. And I wasn't that nervous. And until we got up, we sat down and, and then he listed off the people, our accolades, our resume. And I'm like, I'm even more nervous now. Like, I don't deserve to be up here. You know, I'm not qualified to be up here is what I was thinking. But, you know, everything that came up was simply the, almost the same answer, said in a different way, is... If there's going to be an example, a pillar, a, 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 a correct way of doing something, especially in addressing relationships in this world, where should it be found? In the church. How to deal with hurt. How should it be addressed? Well, how Jesus tells the church to address it. How do we deal with discrimination of whatever sort? The church should be the example. And so there was this elevation of remembering that Christ died for the church, 
And so in the church, we ought to have the answers of how to deal with that. And so many times we fail. But the idea is we have more opportunities to show over and over what we ought to do. Now, we're going to get into some of these things in our next, right after we finish this last stewardship of relationship, uh, we're going to start a series, another series, about one another passages in the Bible. It's going to be awesome. But here is just probably half of all of the Bible and what it says whenever it says, when the phrase one another comes up. Okay, listen, listen here. We are to consider one another. We are members of one another. We are to love one another. We are to admonish one another. We are to care for one another. We are to serve one another. We are to be long-suffering with one another. Ooh, you had to throw that one in there, God. Long-suffering. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Bear one another's burdens. How many of us like it when somebody's just there with us? Do not speak evil against one another. Do not grumble against one another. I'm guilty there. Don't complain against one another, the Bible says. Be hospitable to one another. When's the last time you had a brother or sister in your home? Pray for one another. Be devoted to one another. I heard a preacher say, we are the one another people. <laughs> we ought to be the one another people. And so this idea of individualism is what can benefit me? How can I look better? What are some of the goals that I can achieve is foreign to the Bible? Well, the Bible says, deny self, pick up your cross and follow him. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love my neighbor as myself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord so he can pick you, he can raise you up. And so the Bible teaches us opposite of what these philosophies are found in the world, what they teach us. Any final thoughts or questions as we come to a close? Yes, well, I would just say 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4 says we're all different parts of the body. We function different. We're, we're different in how we, um, how we, how we are, our, our uniqueness. But God still uses us and makes us a part of the one body. So collectively, we're one, but individually, we're different members. And so I would say that that's what I would base it off of. Not all of us think the same. Not all, thank goodness, not all of us think like me. You know, thank goodness that there are people who think differently than me so I can learn um, real quickly. In that uh, discussion, we had, we had addressed maybe four or five questions, and there was this gentleman that was in the back, and he, was, he could not stand still. He was like this, and his face was red. And he slowly made his way up. And then five minutes would pass, and he'd come back up. And then five minutes again, pretty soon he was at the front row. And he was fuming. And he said, all of a sudden, he's like, can I ask a question? And this wasn't a Q&A, but the guy was like, sure. And he was like, we need to quit acting like racism is real. It is not real. There's no discrimination. It's all made up. And so I was, guess what? I was, you know, I was fuming. 
And he was talking, we let him talk, and thank goodness I didn't have the mic. The brother on the far right did. And how he responded to that taught me so much. He goes, he let him go. He let him rant, and he said, what's your name? And he gave him his name. He said, are you a Christian? He goes, well, thank you, brother, for giving me that, that part of what, what you think. It'll help me, and I will tonight. I'll go, and I'll think about your words. That's all he said. And guess what happened to the guy? He turned normal color again. <laughs> he calmed him down. He didn't exchange those heavy words. All he says is, thank you for, for, for giving me your thoughts. That's what we need is, is I will think about that tonight. I'll pray over it and I'll try, to, I'll try to remember that. That's how we deal with it is grace is, is seasoned all throughout these relationships. Is grace covers all of that. Let's pray.